Diversion Podcasts. A Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This is the GOAT, Serena. This is our, our first Grand Slam final together. And really, that's the way we'd like it to be because when both of us win, in a way, we, I just hate to see Serena losing anyway, even against me. I think it's, that's the harder part. I think for anything, it would be easier for her to be me. And I'd maybe be, I don't know, happier. It's kind of strange. But when you're the big sister looking to take care of the younger one. All the while we're going, wait, but the little one might be better. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the I'm, I'm going, yeah, the little one, Serena. And, and so at that point, it's like, what the hell do we have in our hands here? We, we, we might have we might have two. And we did. <laughs> Welcome to The GOAT Season 2, Serena. I'm Chanda Rubin, former World Number 6 Grand Slam semifinalist and doubles champion, alongside my co-host, Zena Garrison, a former Wimbledon finalist, World Number 4, and Olympic gold medalist. In this podcast, which is part of Diversion's GOAT series, Zena and I and our guests will celebrate the career and life of Serena Williams. We'll trace her path as she evolved from an outlier in the tennis establishment into the all-time Grand Slam singles champion and ultimately a cultural icon. Serena and I, we both know when we come out there that it's going to be two competitors competing against each other. And that's just the way it is. When you walk out on the court, if you're not a competitor, you just got to go home. We both understand that. In this episode sisterhood. We will celebrate the power of sisterhood. It will focus on Serena and Venus, of course, but one of the least talked about aspects of the Williams family is that six of the seven family members who lived in the same house in Compton when Serena and Venus were starting out in tennis were women. Yes, Richard Williams, with his folksy, outgoing, sometimes outrageous and always attention-getting personality, tended to dominate conversations about the Williams sisters. But as we will hear, the Williams' home was in many ways led by mom, Orsine. And if Orsine has been consistently overshadowed in the public eye, that was most definitely not the case in the family's home. Orsine already had Yatundi, Isha, and Lindrea when she married Richard Williams. Add new sisters Venus and Serena to the mix, and the prospect of sibling rivalry could have loomed large as an issue. Yet they became like poster children for the power of sisterhood. They were close, and it may have helped that they occupied one bedroom with two bunk beds. The four older sisters had their own beds, leaving Serena to crawl in with one of her sisters. But to Serena, it was a privilege rather than a problem. In her 2009 book, On the Line, Serena cited the role each sister played. Tundi was the forgiver with the heart of gold. Isha was the caretaker who looked after all her sisters. Lindrea was the ever-ready play pal. And Venus well, Venus was Serena's protector. I'm not quite sure how others saw Venus, wrote Serena, who described herself 
as the family princess. But to me, she was like a benevolent bodyguard. That role would become something like a lifetime occupation for Venus. And while it's difficult to gauge how that impacted her own remarkable career, we know what it did for Serena. It inspired and lifted her, playing an enormous role in Serena becoming the GOAT. Venus and I worked so hard, Serena told reporters, after claiming her record 23rd Grand Slam title at the Australian Open in January of 2017. Still to this day, we work side by side at practice. We motivate each other. Like I said on the court, every time she won her match, I felt obligated to win. I've got to win too. The motivation she gives me, it's really second to nothing. It's amazing. There are numerous dimensions to the bond Venus and Serena shared, but they basically sprang from a common root, the family. A secure feeling of sisterhood, pride, strength, and discipline all played a role in the making of the GOAT. And if a lot of what you see in Serena, how you see her, goes back to her outspoken father, Richard, a lot of what you don't see goes back to the quiet, matriarchal force or scene. Our first guest knows a lot about the critical role parents and siblings can play in the career of a champion. Monica Sellis, whose brother Zoltan also aspired to being a pro, began winning majors at age 16. By the age of 19, she had already won eight Grand Slam titles, the fastest start of any Grand Slam champion. But fate intervened when a deranged fan stabbed Monica and sidetracked her career. She was just 20 at the time. Monica returned to the tour in 1996 after a hiatus of nearly three years. Although she wasn't the same player when she returned and had just one win over Serena in five meetings, she still served as an inspiration to many. Like the Williams sisters, Monica's unique game was implanted by her father, but it was Mother Esther Sellis who kept Monica grounded and traveled with her. So let's hear more about the role mothers play in the lives of champions. While speaking with Zena and me, Monica shares her vivid memories of meeting the Williams sisters, which came after Richard Williams paid a surprise visit to Monica's father, Caroli. I got to meet Serena, Venus, and, and Mr. Williams very early on um, in California. I, I would don't quote me what year it was, <laughs> but uh, I was probably seventeen. I think it was before my stabbing when I was the number one player in the world, and Mr. Williams reached out to my dad. Um, and I don't want to lie, so I don't remember like exact specifics, but I remember such determination, such focus, such concentration. Um, that, you know, as I think they must have been probably like nine or 10 years old, I said, oh boy, and here I am also myself, 17, 18. 
that you could just feel something was very special about these two young kids at that point. I mean, what Mr. Williams did with two daughters is truly amazing because just, I think we women are competitive. I don't have a sister, but I have a brother. And even with my brother, it was always competitive because he played tennis. I can't imagine how difficult as a parent it had to be. And it still has to be while both Venus and Serena are playing to keep that uh, relationship as a family, as a sibling, as a father or mother, and truly in the most competitive environment in, in sports on the world stage. So I can't even relate to that side to it. The side of having our dads be such a big part of our lives, I would in my case, I, I would not change that because my dad taught me so many terrific things, not just on the tennis court, off the tennis court too, that um, I thank him truly every day for the gifts that he gave me. Just wish, you know, as, as a lot of us have losses in life, that he actually got to uh, spend more time with me uh, and things like that. Those gifts were put to use quickly in the case of all three players. Monica felt she could really relate to the urgency shown by the Williams sisters because she herself had felt the same passion for the game in her youth. I love tennis. I'm good at it. Uh, you know, the other part is we all know we're all independent contractors. We're one injury mm-hmm. away. Nothing is guaranteed. But somewhere in my brain, I said, okay, I want to do this. And I think that's the thing that I saw early on As crazy as this sounds, even more in Serena than in Venus, when I met them even as a 17, 18-year-old, I saw that same determination, same focus that I had. And probably Mm. till that moment, till I met Serena, and Serena had to have been younger than 10, I thought I was kind of one of the few people... (laughs) <laughs> that that had that at that level i i think i don't i'd be curious to know what you but both of you think if you see that in certain players in the pros or even in juniors where you know they just have just that bit more than even somebody like venus to yeah. me i don't well, know why yeah i mean that's interesting you say that because we were talking about it before <laughs> getting on this this conversation with you and we said we put you and serena sort of in that range of incredible competitors, the intensity you bring to every single point, every single shot. And I can certainly say from my perspective as well, having played both of you, um, Mm -hmm. it's incredible how similar that is. And you mentioned how big they hit the ball. That was one of the things you noticed, even, you know, as a 17 year old seeing them. Um, But both of you were incredible ball strikers. And, you know, Can you think about how challenging that was for you playing Serena, playing almost yourself? (laughs) How how challenging was that? Better than myself. That was hard for the ego. That was debatable at that time. That was very debatable. Different debate. uh, uh, Absolutely. I think also one thing that goes a bit unnoticed uh, is both of our parents taught us very clean technique. When you look at Serena's technique, it's clean. I mean, the forehand had a little bit of a hiccup. You know, we all played her, so we all kind of said, okay, well, if it gets tight, go to the forehand. But she kept improving that where it really wasn't a weakness. And the back end, kind of like my back end, was the shot that, you know, under crazy pressure, 
it was something I could rely upon and for her too. And I think that comes from fundamentals, which I think is very important to young kids or, or parents or coaching who will be listening to this podcast that the fundamentals, the technique have to be there. And that's what I think to me, to me, Serena's is like, that is that building block. And then the mental toughness, I think part of it is you have, you don't to those levels, because I think Serena even surpasses my mental toughness, which for me was very long, very hard to kind of accept because, you know, all the time you think, oh, I'm one of the toughest <laughs> out there. We'll be back with more of the GOAT Serena in just a moment. It's easy to overlook the sheer drive and mental toughness of prodigies like Monica and Serena. Regulating and channeling that drive, taking care that it doesn't become all-consuming, is more than enough of a job for two parents, never mind just one. I consistently say Richard and Oracine. Thank that you. That combination you. together, you know, the confidence that you get from your mom that you can't get from somewhere else. You know, the dad might be, you know, a little harder, but I think... You, you, you might have figured it out today. It's, you know, your yeah. mom and your dad and Serena's mom and dad made yeah. two Thank you. very strong, mentally tough players. But how important Thank is you. that? You know, when you think about that type of grounding that you got and you look at Serena, the fact that she's still playing, still enjoying the game, because mm -hmm. that's a big part of it as well. I mean, we see players with parents who are maybe too involved and they, at a certain point, they don't want to play anymore. But how important was that for you? And how do you kind of relate to Serena along those lines? Um, I just have to say, I'm so happy you brought that up because I think so much in, in, in the tennis world, we always talk about, um, you know, Mr. Williams and not about Orsi. Um, so I think it is just the grounding force that she was, I think, day to day during tournaments. I mean, she never missed a match. She would be there. And I think, you know, she's still she, there. You, she's, <laughs> I mean, and never show emotion and I, in a weird way. And I think that is so awesome because she never put pressure either on Serena or Venus with, you know, how some parents will. Oh my God, <laughs> what a shot. How could you do that? Or some of these things or like, oh, you are the best. And I think that even, um, M mentality was just, and I think she was to me always the same. If you would see her in the lock around the locker room, and you would not know if Serena or Venus won or lost. Mm. And very few parents can you say that about. And one of the things I look back now, very few parents, beside I think, um, or seen um, Eduardo Sabatini and mm. Gabriella's dad yes. and my dad would really clap when another where their child's mm. opponent that's hit a so great shot. That's true. That's a good point. And to me, I always try to say that when I work a bit with junior players and, you know, the parents are very involved, which is terrific, but just be, do be involved the right way because essentially you raise a champion, but you want to raise a human being too. And I think really both when you look at Serena and Venus, they're both champions of the sport, mm. but they're also wonderful human beings. I think same way as you two. My, uh, and that is just, I think, also bigger gift because, yeah, tennis is a big part. I mean, for somebody like Serena Venus, they're very 
you know, uh, in an era where they can play till they're 40. I mean, in my era, I mean, you know, your era even earlier is kind of like, okay, when are you retiring? You're really throwing shade at me today. You're really throwing shade at me. (laughs) I'm here for it. I am here for all of it. So, (laughs) well, it's just nice to, hey, see you. I haven't seen ages. I got to give you something there. Uh, But I think that's what's You know, it's just really very important. I think so often in professional sports, people lose sight of that, especially more towards young women, because the parents seem to be more involved with the with the women's sports athletes than the men. And I always say that few things you got to keep in check because you essentially want a healthy child because you can be the greatest in your sport. And if you are not a happy individual and, and truly, I mean, when you look at somebody like Serena, who's been able to have a life off the court too, it's just beautiful to see. I mean, she went through such a difficult period and to really be able to find happiness outside of the sport too. Uh, to me, somebody who is you know, a a big fan uh, in that number one (laughs) fan category. It's just beautiful to see. That happiness Monica mentions is real, but it took her some time after the brutal attack she suffered to find happiness for herself again. So she understands better than most how difficult it had been for Serena and Venus to recover from the shock of prematurely losing their sister Yatundi. The oldest of the Williams sisters was killed in a case of mistaken identity in a drive-by shooting. There's a touch of sisterhood in the way Sella speaks of the impact of tragedy on the lives of the sisters and herself. I've always been very curious because of you and Serena had that toughness, you know, on the court. But then there's things that happen to you off the court, like your stabbing, her death of, you know, Yutundi, her sister. And this is played in the public eye. But both of you guys handle it like with so much like oomph. And, you know, like what was that psychologically for you to come back? And and I also I want to play off (laughs) of it, Monica, because. You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned it and it made it created some incredible changes in the mm-hmm. sport. Right. In the way that security was handled after your stabbing um, and, and how you approach player safety. That was a huge thing. Um, and for Serena off court, obviously losing a very close family member, but on court. That U.S. Open match against Capriati where she had so many bad calls. I mean, you almost feel like she was kind of attacked a little bit in a way. And on replay, nobody could do anything. And it changed the way we kind of handle instant replay and players are able to challenge now. You know, do you have more empathy for Serena because of what you experienced, what you went through? And how do you rebound from incidents like that on Mm -hmm. the court where it's supposed to be a safe space? Well, I think uh, both uh, tragedies, I don't know what will be the right word to use. Uh, hers is even more because she actually lost a sister. I've, I've gotten to live and I've got to experience life. In her case, she lost a, a sibling that she'll never see again, a, a truly heartbreaking situations. But uh, as athletes, I think you're like anybody else. You're thrown at some stages, happy times, some stages difficult, some trying times. Um you know, tragedies like that, you don't wish upon anybody. Uh, and when, you know, Serena lost her sister, I think in my case, I just, you know, I can't even imagine that. I don't know how else to put it. At the same time, you have to go back out there on court and put on a professional face, I would call it. It's not even a brave face. It's, it's that professionalism that I think Serena has. I mean, I can say anytime I played Serena, anytime 
she has stepped on the court. She has given 110%. I can say that about myself. I know each time you step on that court, there's no, there might be an off day by your strokes, but you're still present and you're giving your absolute best. You're not kind of just, okay, going through the motions. And I think that's a mental discipline. Mm. I think that's pride in the craft that you're doing. I think that's, you know, respect. And, and I think, any of us that are on the, the tennis circle, we know what an amazing competitor Serena is and, and where she draws that competitiveness, that energy before she became a mom. I'm sure it changed after she became a mom and, and really how she deals with that. Because in her case, kind of like in my case, the eyes were on, everybody's like kind of looking, waiting, what's your reaction? And truly, I think each of us deal with it differently. I think both of us, I can't speak f- for her, but I think having a family support system and friends mm, helps yes. tremendously uh, because you truly need that space where I think you can grieve and, and just be a human being, forgetting that it's a champion um, and, and stuff like that. And in my case, I think it took me a while to feel safe again on a court because to me, tennis was Yes, it was a way I made my living, but it was a sport that, you know, I should feel safe when I walk out there on a court and turn my back. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, you know, instead of having to worry that somebody could like that could breach security, let alone truly bring a, a knife to a tennis event. You know, I mean, that to me is like also when you look back is how was that allowed to happen mm, and a yeah. lot of other things, but each case is very different. But I think one thing, we both hopefully if any young kids are watching um listening to this podcast is that it's resilience you bounce back you Mm. do the best that you can that day and i think serena has shown that i mean she had some highs in career and she has some lows in her but she always shows up and she always goes she goes i'm gonna go next tomorrow's a new day i'm gonna work harder whatever that is i'm gonna be more conscious of this and i think she's an ever-evolving human being and personally i just can't wait to see the next stage after she stops playing professional tennis i hope she'll play a few more years because i really would love to you know (laughs) see her play break you know all these um more amazing records but truly just to see her already be an amazing mom, amazing wife, and just to build this life because she absolutely deserves the most happiness because she has worked for all this herself. And and think about it, as we all know, we kind of all had to figure this out on our own. There was no blueprint on anything from the simplest thing to the most complex thing. And you're dealing around the world with the press, with so many different things and you, you you were thrown into this at a very early age so you kind of it's like okay sink or or survive and to do it at the highest level that she has been able to do it and, and truly figure out so much of her own maybe as a youngster with the help of her parents but i think later on a lot was by herself um it's to me truly just speaks so much about her character Monica Sellis appreciated what Orsine Williams brought to the table simply by observing Serena and Venus as they developed. She also admired the way Orsine, much like her own mother, Esther, was so well respected on the tour. But to understand what makes Orsine tick and what she implanted in her daughters, we went to the Williams family. Here's part of our conversation with the second oldest of the sisters, Isha Price. Well, one of the things that always amazed me is how quiet 
but confident your mom was. And I remember mm. Venus saying to me one time before that your mom always told you guys that you were beautiful, strong, beautiful, and black. And I never forgot that. And it's funny because I tell kids now, if somebody asks me, it's like, if you want to help kids in any sport or anything, then tell them what Venus just said. How, how was that impact when you guys were growing up? Wow. Um, you know, my mom... It was a real G, you know what I'm saying? Because it was like, she never wanted us to feel less than, you know, we live in a world, unfortunately, where people do see things in a, from a very physical standpoint and, and they allow physical differences to, you know, kind of shape how they look at other people. And my mother utilized that, but almost in the reverse, like, you know, there's nothing like, she was like, I'm you black and you proud, you know, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But she's just very adamant about it and 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 at the same time outside of the house just a very quiet strength and um and that was just her demeanor she's an introvert by nature and um she's not like the type of person that's gonna like get in your face very much not angry black woman um although there's a time for that <laughs> and um, needed <laughs> when needed <laughs> i'm not facing the angry black woman um but um she always told us that we were beautiful and that we were strong. And she always would reiterate to us these women in history who we were like, um, you know, whether it was Harriet Tubman or Sojourner Truth or Madam C.J. Walker, like, you know, you can do anything. You can be anybody like look at all the, 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 the people that whose shoulders you stand on. Orsin clearly has a lion's or rather a lioness's share of self-control. And you can bet that it was tested in more ways than one and more times than you might imagine. Serena was emerging from a difficult period when she entered the Australian Open in 2007. Coming off an injury-ravaged 2006, Serena was ranked number 94 and largely written off as a contender at the 2007 Australian Open. She was also bullied and picked on by some in the media in a robust bout of body shaming. Some went as far as calling her a cow. But with having played so few matches and still struggling to reclaim her fitness, her feet ravaged by blisters, Serena became the first unseated player to win the Australian Open in over 40 years. The other thing that went around in the press a lot was that, you know, because she was so muscular, like, you know, she was a dude. Yeah. <laughs> we've all heard that. Maybe changed. not Chanda, but we've all, all heard changed. it. <laughs> like, you know, up until like she's having a baby, like yeah. <laughs> be clear, transgender stuff aside, like be clear. Like you still have to have some female parts to, to have a baby. Like, you know, and so it's, 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 it's been, it's been a wild ride, but, you know, being, having that foundation of knowing who we were as, as women and who she was as a, as a woman and, and feeding into that part of her beauty. Now, you know, she talks about her ugly duckling stage and all that other stuff, but we all had that, like, you know what I mean? But to at your core feel beautiful from the inside is something I think that, you know, you, you well, kind of get in a formative yeah, time of your life. And, and I'm just grateful that my mother gave her that. That's amazing. I mean, that's a gift. And, you know, to, for your mom to have that vision, you know, to want to give that to all of you. 
and, and to insist on it. I mean, that, you know, yeah. that is a whole a whole nother level. And, you know, it's interesting because the more people we talk to, you know, we the more we hear about how pivotal your mom or seen yeah. role was in in the family and creating yeah. you know, this healthy family and and this positive energy that you guys still kind of bring today. Um, you know, but Richard, your your dad was always kind of the more dominant figure. Do you feel that your mom was overshadowed? It's interesting. I don't. Uh, and 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 for a number of reasons. I think my mom understood her space, you know, and and was very confident in her position in the in the role that she played. And had she wanted a more front-facing role, she would have demanded it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, obviously it was my dad's personality to be who he was. You know what I'm saying? And and I don't think there's anything wrong with owning the space that you own. Um, and and quite frankly, my mom was such a driving force and is such a strong character that like, you know, she's one of those moms <laughs> back in the day, like, you know, they look at you and that's all they have to do. <laughs> See that one. You know what I mean? So like, if you can stop somebody in their tracks with a look, it's so crazy. Like even, you know, uh, people in the press and everything, like when they're, they see my mom, oh, we see you in the stands, you look so stoic and you're always so calm. They haven't sat with my mother in the stands ever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have, and I have a story and, on yeah. that one. With Chanda yeah. and Venus played doubles in the Olympics, but go ahead. <laughs> and she is the main commenter. She sees everything. She knows, you know, different things that are happening on the court and why, you know, why this is happening and why that isn't happening. And she's very much, but that's not necessarily for everyone to see. Yeah. Like you, you also have to have a part of yourself that, that you get to share with your family and your loved ones, you know, your friends that, that that's yours and, and that you get to have it. And that's why I'm saying, like, I think she is the very person she wants to be and that she needs to be. And she's confident in that. And, that's enough for her. So I don't I don't think I wouldn't say it was an overshadowing. I would say that there was strength in the way that she was and, mm. and, and she owned who she was in her space. Well, you know, you talk about how important it's been for Serena to start her venture capital firm and to help other women and, and help minorities. You know, I think about how powerful a force Serena has been and what she's accomplished. But it was a struggle for her to kind of get what she might have gotten, you know, long before with that kind of resume. You know, I remember, you know, how long it took for her to be the highest paid female tennis player and far and away. And I'm a player looking at this at the time as another black female player. It's like that, that value system is, is off. What does that say about how we are looked at? And and I, I think about, um, you know, Serena and how she approached that. And, and even Zena telling the story about how excited she was when she got her first sort of blue chip sponsor, right? Madison she, Avenue. And she was so happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, how did, how did she navigate that and not just be pissed off all the time for lack of a better word, because I, you know, it, it was, I was angry about it and it wasn't even me. I think the best way to navigate, like, I think there was the foundational support, you know, there's a foundation of, of a spiritual foundation, a family foundation, 
you know, the sense of self, a lot of the things that we've talked about up to this point, you know, help to build a person to be like, you know what, I'm going to demand my space, mm-hmm. you know, like, and if I have to keep doing it, yeah, I'm, I might get tired of doing it. But if I know that in the end, it helps someone else, you know, it, it'll be for the good. If somebody else can be better or, or not have to fight the same things that I have to fight, it'll be good. But I think that there's always this thing where you're, and I know for her, make no mistake, don't think that you don't get angry. You know what I mean? Because it's just not fair. It's not a just situation. It's not something that it should be okay. Um, But it exists. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that my mother is, is very much a realist. Mm. and she's always been the type of person that's like, you know, don't wallow in what they're telling when they're telling, you no. you just knock the door down until you get a yes. And eventually you won't be able to be denied, you know? Yes, we do know, but let's depart from such weighty topics for now and speak to someone who was there at the beginning watching Sisterhood in operation at Rick Macy's Tennis Academy. Andy Roddick was a fellow Academy rat who went on to become a world number one as well as a U.S. Open champion. He developed a friendship with Serena back in those early years, which is a relationship that continues to this day. You and Serena, Andy, you've known each other for a long time. How far back do you go? I remember seeing uh, Venus and Serena at Greenleaf, uh, when Rick Macy's Academy was there, that had to be 92, maybe. And then they moved, went, my brother was there, and so I wasn't there at Greenleaf, but then they moved, uh, when everyone moved down to uh, Delray Beach, Florida, mm-hmm. um, the girls were there, and then I started going there um, also. And so for probably three or four years of my life, it was like, the phenom girls and then this other kid like on the next court like you know <laughs> however however many courts over but i had a i had a like an up close view um they worked their butts off when they were young i mean i'm, I'm sure they still do but what i saw was was uh, was crazy and it was it was weird because that was back when it was controversial that they didn't play junior tournaments and everyone including yeah. myself was like well how do we know how good they are why are they getting <laughs> so much hype you know it's like it's like, what the hell do I know? Uh, they're still winning. I'm a dummy. <laughs> so what was like your first impressions of them? Um, we, we just, it was like this aura of, uh, we didn't know. And then, you know, Richard, it, it was like his show too. So we didn't know what to make of Richard. He was always saying something. And, you know, so it was a weird thing where you can have the eyeball test and you obviously see that these girls are just, uh, just phenoms as far as their power and their ability and the work they put in. Uh, but no one had ever seen it in in real play. It's like watching someone, you know. It's like watching someone who's amazing at the combine in the NFL. You can see the tools, but you know, does that translate to 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 the game? And that that was a question we just didn't know. And then I think it was Venus who went first, and I'll forget the city, but it was a, an event out in Cali. I think she took a set off. It was of, in uh, Oakland. Or, it was in Oakland. Arancha, right? Yeah. She took maybe took a set off of Arancha, and then it was like, oh. And all the while we're going, wait, but the little one might be better. Like, you know, <laughs> the I'm, I'm going, and, and then, uh, yeah, the little one, Serena. And, and so at that point, it's like, what the hell do we have in our hands here? We, we, might, have, we might have two, and we did. <laughs> we'll be back with more of the GOAT Serena in just a moment. 
Andy was on hand to see why Venus and Serena maybe didn't need to play junior tournaments. Early on, he also saw how Venus served as a trailblazer for the baby sister she felt so protective about. And let's not forget that he had a front row seat for a controversial moment that became a racially infused incident. That was in the U.S. Open semifinals of 1997, where opponent Irina Sperlea didn't move sideways on a change of ends and infamously bumped chess with Venus near the net post. And it's interesting, too, because you, you talk about how nobody really knew because they didn't play tournaments. And we spoke to Billie Jean, and she said this, and, and I'd never heard anybody say it in that way, but she said, you know, they each had the, bre- the best practice partner, each other. And so well, maybe they didn't need to play as much because of that. But I'm curious, along those lines, what do you think Venus meant to Serena? I mean, it, this is an individual sport in tennis, and, you know, it, it's rare that you have a sibling that, you know, maybe you can even practice with, let alone who is as good as these two were side by side. What did Venus do for Serena? How, how was that impact the way you saw it? Well, she, I mean, frankly, she provided a lot of cover. Um, you know, when, when Venus comes out at first and, you know, I remember the controversy with, with, with Sperlea and we're, we're having to deal with things that we hadn't dealt with in tennis before in the conversation. I forgot about that yeah. one. And this yeah, was, kinda, this was at the it, U.S. Open. That was yeah. 97. Venus got to the final that year. But another player, Arena Sperlea, there was a chest bump at the net. And that was like a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I, if I, if I, I don't want to, I don't want to say something that is that that wasn't said by arena but th- there were conversations around race and was that the what was that a part of a cause with mm-hmm. with uh, with venus and sperlea and mm-hmm. these are conversations that were largely hidden um in, in tennis up to a certain point so for venus to have to kind of go through that first and then serena actually getting kind of a, an up-close look at the basket you know she had been in every arena that she was eventually going to dominate him so i guarantee you those arenas felt a lot smaller uh, by the time she got there, and and oh by the way, my sister is is really good. We know she's one of the best players in the world. And let's say I beat her in practice last week. You know that has <laughs> to do, yeah. I mean that has to do amazing things for your confidence. So um, I don't think it can be understated what it did to help Serena, kind of having Venus go through, go through, uh, go through first. Yeah, and you know you think about Andy. You're you have a brother who was a fantastic player as well. Now, can you imagine what that might have been like uh, number one side by side as world number ones. You know, these two together, these sisters really changed the game in, in some ways because it was the two of them out there. But how, how, you know, how do you see those challenges? I mean, you we maybe see the benefits, but what would be the challenges in terms of that? <laughs> I'll tell you this. My brother and I have gotten in fights over the, like the last <laughs> scoop, the, like the last scoop at Thanksgiving. So forget like playing for titles and millions of dollars and, you know, battling egos and everything else. I, I don't, I, I also don't think, uh, you know, it's funny because Venus and Serena get, they get mentioned in the same, but you, you think of like the Mannings, right? They were both number one draft mm-hmm. picks and you, you kind of come up with these other uh, equivalents, but they weren't like, even if you're on the other team, it's one Manning playing gets a defense of the other team. They're not literally going against mm-hmm. each other. You know, they're, they're, their teams are playing each other, but they're not fighting each other they're not the road doesn't go through each other you know the, the, there was never a they were never on the field at the same time right mm-hmm. even if their teams were playing so uh, it's a completely different dynamic how they pulled it off uh is amazing um and there's no kind of false representation of, of their relationship either 
You know, they're, they're, yeah. they, they've been close the entire way. Uh, from, where, from where I've sat, I've never seen, you know, uh, any kind of friction that's lasted more than like, you're annoying me at lunch, you know? So, <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's actually remarkable um, kind of the maturity that they've, they've had kind of going through this process, which is now, I mean, gosh, we were talking about 97, it's 25 years old now. You know, you get the sense of the relationship that you and Serena have. I mean, I remember uh, playing an exhibition and, and you two were playing as well. And I remember in the car and, and I don't remember what you're talking about, but the two of you were just laughing and a giggling about something. And of course, your sense of humor. I mean, you are the same person no matter what the situation. And, and that's a real compliment where you have people who, you know, go in and out and, and they sort of change for the moment. You are the same regardless of what's going on. And you could just see Serena kind of gravitating towards that. And I'm curious in terms of your relationship, have you always kind of had a good relationship? I would say it's easy. Like we have an easy relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just like we could not see each other for a year and all of a sudden we do and we kind of just like drop back in. I, I do think like if you think about Venus and Serena from the time they're kids outside of, you know, family or, you know, moving across the country to a new place and being around tennis people for the first time and doing all this, they're... It, it, it's probably a weird thing to have like a trust mechanism at that age when people are coming after you and everyone you meet probably could benefit from something mm -hmm. that you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we never had that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, we knew each other before she was, you know, I, 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 she was the girl who like drilled really well, but we didn't know if she could play, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's, so I, I knew her then, um, you know, so I, I think there's probably a trust mechanism. I, you know, nothing that, she says, I'm, I'm ever going to, mm -hmm. it, it stays between us. I'm not going to use it to and that's sensationalize yeah. anything. And I mean, so, that's, that's you know, I, 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 but I think that, that, that probably has something to do with, you know, us knowing each other um, a long time ago. Well, there you have it. You could call this episode Women Behaving Historically, because it's clear that Serena is, as her sister Isha said in another context, standing on the shoulders of others. A daring but shrewd father in Richard Williams, as we knew all along, but also a strong, ultra-supportive mother in Orsine. She taught her daughters, all five of them, the value of strength, of pride, of not taking no for an answer when right is on their side. It's pretty clear from our guests, including some who appeared or will appear in other episodes, that you simply can't talk in any depth about Serena or how she became the goat in tennis without also talking about Venus. In a sense, they've remained the same inseparable duo they were as giggling, racket-toting, fierce young girls. They are, in a sense, tennis twins. Coming up with the help of the godmother of tennis, Billie Jean King and other special guests, we will be exploring and documenting the process that helped shape the gifted youngster Serena into the GOAT. I can assure you, it was a process that featured a number of unexpected twists and turns that you won't want to miss. The GOAT Serena was written by Pete Boda. This season is hosted by Zena Garrison and Chanda Rubin. Produced and directed by Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Our consulting producer is Andrew Kalb. Production assistance from Anita Okoye. And our social media consultant is Stephen Tompkins. 
Original music by Andy Marvel. Our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA and Susan Canavan. Diversion Podcasts.